It is Friday, the 26th of January, the Feast of Saints Timothy and Titus. Let's pray through their intercession in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, you have called many to live and to preach the good news of salvation. Keep all your followers faithful to the message they have received from you. You have called men and women from every walk of life to bear witness to you. Sustain them in the midst of opposition and fill them with your joy. You have chosen from among your followers bishops, priests, and deacons. Fill them with zeal and eloquence in proclaiming your word. O God, you will the salvation of all peoples. Send dedicated disciples, zealous preachers, and selfless servants of charity, like Timothy and Titus, into the world for our redemption. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Saints Timothy and Titus, pray for us. It is a better way to start a Friday. The Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running. You can check that out on Facebook Live and YouTube Live and even join the chat over there. We hang out in there a little bit. That's all available through the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, Amy Wellborn is going to talk about Septuagesima and... If you don't know what that is, you're about to here in a few minutes. Stephanie Mann has more English history reflections for us. Ken Craycraft is going to talk about racism and Flannery O'Connor. And then we'll look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. So stay with us. Got a full hour ahead. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Six religious sisters of the Congregation of St. Anne who were kidnapped in Haiti earlier this month have been freed. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. The two lay people, reportedly their bus driver and a niece of one of the nuns, were also released. Unidentified armed men had stopped the bus on which they were traveling, demanding a ransom of $3.5 million, according to local media reports. The president of Haiti's Bishops' Conference, Archbishop Max Leroy Mesidor, confirmed their release to Vatican Media. Archbishop Mesidor expressed his joy at the news and thanked all those who had paid attention and offered support in this situation. We give thanks to God. Thank you for your support, he said. Pope Francis, during his Sunday Angelus, made a heartfelt appeal for the release of the six nuns. The Pope said he had learned with sorrow of the kidnapping. In my heartfelt plea for their release, he said, I pray for social concord in the country, and I invite everyone to bring an end to the violence, which is causing a great deal of suffering to that dear population. On Wednesday, the Catholic Church in Haiti organized a day of prayer, meditation, and Eucharistic adoration for the religious sisters and all the kidnapped people. Meanwhile, the vice president of Haiti's Bishops' Conference, Bishop Pierre-André Dumas of Ansevu Maragoyena, also gave thanks for the release of the eight who had been abducted. This traumatic event, he wrote, has once again put our faith to the test, but it remains unshakable. We cried out to God, the bishop said. He made us strong in our trials and brought our captives back to freedom. Speaking to Vatican Radio recently, Bishop Dumas said he wished to offer himself as a hostage in exchange for the nuns. Kidnapping women who dedicate their lives to saving the poor and the young, he said, is a gesture that will see God's judgment. 
I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The International Court of Justice is expected to rule today on South Africa's claim that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza. The U.N. judges will not decide if genocide has actually occurred in the war against Hamas, but will rule on South Africa's call for emergency measures against Israel. Israel, for its part, has denied that genocide is being committed and says they're fighting Hamas in self-defense. At least 25,000 people, though, have died in Gaza since the war began on October 7th when Hamas attacked Israel and killed more than 1,200 people. The state of Alabama has put Kenneth Eugene Smith to death by nitrogen hypoxia, the nation's first execution by this new method. More from Mark Mayfield. He was sentenced to death for a 1988 murder and lived through a botched 2022 execution attempt. An attorney for Smith had asked the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to block the execution, arguing the untested method may violate the Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. The U.S. Supreme Court rejected the final appeal on Wednesday. I'm Mark Mayfield. New government data shows the U.S. economy grew faster than expected the last quarter of 2023. The Commerce Department reported yesterday the country's gross domestic product increased by 3.3 percent year over year in 2023's fourth quarter. That was more than the 2 percent growth expected by Wall Street. Pope Francis spoke to officials with the Roman Rota yesterday, encouraging them to discern annulment cases prayerfully. Vatican News reports the Holy Father spoke about the tension between justice and mercy, and he said, quote, a judge's prayer is essential to his task. If a judge does not pray or cannot pray, he had better go and do another job, end quote. And the NFL will have its Super Bowl 58 teams locked in following championship Sunday this weekend. The pair of matchups begins in the afternoon when the Chiefs head to Baltimore to play the top-seeded Ravens in the AFC title game. Kansas City advanced to its sixth straight championship game after edging the Buffalo Bills 27-24 in the divisional round. Meanwhile, Baltimore is coming off a comfortable 34-10 win over the Texans, where Lamar Jackson combined for four touchdowns. The day wraps up in Santa Clara when the number one seeded 49ers battle the Lions in the NFC title game. San Francisco advanced to its third consecutive championship game after taking down the Packers 24 to 21 last weekend. The Lions moved on to the franchise's second ever conference championship after taking down the Buccaneers 31 to 23 in the divisional round. So Anna Mitchell, I am uh I am not going to give my predictions, but I'm going to give you some theories, theories. here in okay. a couple of minutes, and they're all oh. going to be biblical. Interesting. I'm going to have biblical theories based on all four of those teams, but not until after we talk to Amy, if that's all right. Sure. Because it's need, these need a little time to breathe. Okay. All right. I look forward to it. Very much so. I think. Today is Friday, January the 22nd. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on this feast of Saints Timothy and Titus. Pray for us. It's seven past. Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Amy Wellborn. You can read her blog, listen to the podcast that she co-hosts, find her books, and a lot of free or really, really cheap ones online at her site, amywellborn.com. Good morning, Amy. 
Good morning. How are you? I am doing fine and uh, excited to talk to you about this old-timey Catholic thing. <laughs> this weekend is Septuagesima Sunday. What is that? Yeah, okay. So Septuagesima Sunday is the uh, ninth Sunday, well, this, uh, yeah, the, the ninth Sunday before, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> before Easter. Let's get our math right. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, let's get our math right. And it's followed by, on the traditional calendar, uh, Sexagesima and Quinquagesima. Mm-hmm. I'm sure our Latin experts can pronounce all that much easier. <laughs> and it's all related to the number of days and the number of weeks before Easter. And just to make this, like, a little clearer, in Latin, Lent is quad quadragesima, 40 mm-hmm. days, right? Yep. And in most non-English languages, the word for Lent has a relationship to 40, the number 40, quadresima in Spanish and so on. So the number stuff kind of makes sense in that. And what it is, it's a pre-Lent preparation. It's a preparation for the preparation for Easter. Yeah. We have three, they have three Sundays with uh, special readings, and of course, in the old calendar, you did not have a three-year lectionary cycle. You had a one-year lectionary cycle, so you would have the same sets of two readings for those three Sundays before Lent. Uh, I just want to mention before I go into a little more detail that this is not, you know, completely extinct. Of course, sure. um, the Second Vatican Council reforms of the Second Vatican Council did eliminate this season, which had existed for about a thousand years in the uh, Latin calendar, um, from the calendar. But, of course, as we point out, traditional those who observe the traditional Catholic calendar observe it. Ordinary Catholics uh, observe it, which means that Anglicans in the Church of England, these three Sundays, uh, this pre-Lent is celebrated. And then, of course, in Eastern, Eastern Christianity, both Eastern Catholicism and Orthodoxy, they have a very distinct season of pre-Lent, that preparation for the preparation. And the whole thinking behind it is that Lent is a big deal. And, you know, it it takes preparation, mental, spiritual preparation, in order to ready ourselves for the sacrifices that we're about to engage in, and which then presumes the sacrifices are pretty you know, big, you know, and, and of course in Orthodoxy and Eastern Catholicism, Lent fasting is very, yes. you know, dramatic and very uh, kind of intense. It's no meat, no dairy for all of Lent. And so the pre-Lent and the Eastern Christianity kind of gradually gets you to, you to that point, you know, one week you stop eating meat, the next meat you start eating cheese and so on and so forth. And so, you know, the traditional... Catholic traditional Christian pre-Lent season of Septuagesima has that same sentiment, and the the main kind of feature of that liturgically is that that is the period in which the Alleluia stops being sung. The vespers of the Saturday before Septuagesima Sunday is the last time that Alleluia, the Alleluia or the Gloria is used in liturgical prayer until Easter. Um, In some, you know, sort of folksy traditions, or even in some monasteries, there's a tradition of after Vespers on the Saturday before uh, Septuagesima burying the Alleluia, ritually, you know, kind of, you know, writing out the Alleluia, having it on a plaque, and burying it 
mm-hmm. for this the season of Lent. Yeah, and so um, I want to touch on this idea of Lent being a big deal and and the right. reason for this season of preparation to then prepare for Easter um, because Lent is not just like about giving up something just to give it up. I mean, fasting, like like prayer and, and almsgiving as well, I mean, they're meant to move us in this Godward direction, right? So like to wake up on Ash Wednesday and say, oh my gosh, it's Ash Wednesday. I got to think of something to give up. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll give up chocolate. I'll give up, right. I'll give right. up coffee. Um, although, I mean, I have to say, giving up coffee for Lent would take some preparation yes, for me. Um, yeah, I mean, you could get, make yourself sick if you did it. Exactly, suddenly, right? exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is not the most fitting way to enter into a season like Lent. Exactly, exactly. And I find it's very interesting to consider the gospel readings for those three Sundays in, on the traditional calendar before Lent. And the, you know, it kind of moves us in the in that direction. Um, the readings for this coming Sunday, Septuagesima, would be Jesus sends his disciples. The second one is mm. the next Sunday is the parable of the sower. And wow. then the Sunday right before Lent is always Jesus' prediction of the passion and the healing of the blind man. Wow. Um, who says, Jesus, you know, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what a fitting way to sort of get your brain and your spirit in line for the coming season. And wow. the thing that I like about it, that I love about it, even though, you know, I never experienced it myself as a, as a child or young person growing up, I, as old as I am, I'm not that old, um, is the corporate nature of it. You know, I mean, you know, Lent is not just a time of individual self-improvement, right? It's the whole body of Christ journeying with Christ to the cross, mm. you know, taking up our crosses and journeying with Christ for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of the world. And so the Septuagesima season has that same sense in which we are all kind of preparing together and the sense, the understanding that we need the church's help to do this, right? Um, you know, Paul says in Romans, we do not know how to pray as we ought. And I've always, you know, kind of understood. And then, and then he says, but the Spirit, you know, gives us the words. The Spirit enters our lives and gives us the words. And I've always understood that And as, you know, the Spirit is what enlivens and gives the church its words, right? And so when we depend on the Spirit to give us the words to pray, that means we are depending on the church, first of all. And so this season, this pre-Lent season, is a way of admitting, hey, I don't, you know, I'm not like the master of my domain. I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I may not even know what I need to give up for Lent. And so I need this, or to you know, what penances I need to pursue for Lent. So this season is a way of us as a corporate body listening to the Lord, letting the Spirit lead us, and acknowledging that we're all in this together. Um, So it's not just this individual task, and I I just really appreciate that about this traditional season. For sure. Thank you so much, Amy Wellborn. And for my money... Amy Wellborn's site is one of the best places to get good Lenten resources to truly enter into this season. And uh, she just put up, um, just re-released her late husband's book, The Power of the Cross, um, on uh, 
in ebook form and everything she has is either free or really cheap. So go over to amywellborn.com and on the side of her page you can click on the Lenten resources. You'll see a a little uh, icon for it over on the side of her page. amywellborn.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We got headlines coming up next. It's 16 past. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. It's always harder to get out of bed when it's cold outside. So give yourself something to look forward to, like Mystic Monk Coffee for the first cup of the day. You can find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, and we earn a commission on anything you buy through that link. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug, which you can buy through our online store. Check out the mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Catechism in a Year with me, Father Mike Schmitz, is now available right here on Catholic Radio. Encounter God's plan of sheer goodness for us, revealed in Scripture and passed down through the tradition of the Catholic faith as we journey together toward our heavenly home. Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on EWTN Radio. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Six religious sisters of the congregation of St. Anne who were kidnapped in Haiti earlier this month have been freed. The International Court of Justice is expected to rule today on South Africa's claim that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza. And Pope Francis yesterday celebrated an ecumenical Vespers on the feast of the conversion of St. Paul to close out the week of prayer for Christian unity. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, I don't necessarily have predictions, but I do know that all four teams that are in the conference championships appear in the Bible. The NFL, that is. Yeah. Right. Okay. The NFL conference championships. All right. Chiefs are Chiefs. in the Bible. Actually, Chiefs are probably in the Bible the most. Uh, you hear things like in Genesis 40, chapter, uh, chapter 40, verse 2, Pharaoh's angry with his two officers, the chief butler, the chief baker. Mm-hmm. He throws them in prison. They mm-hmm. meet Joseph there. Joseph interprets dreams and ascends to power because of consulting with those two chiefs. Okay, fair. Uh, Jesus tells us, though, that whoever is going to be chief among us has to be the has least. Has to be your servant. Yeah. And then Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory. Cool. That will never fade. Okay. I don't know. That's a, that's a good nice. look for the chiefs. All right. I think um, I know where you're going to go with the ravens, but yeah, please. They fed Elijah in First mm-hmm. Kings chapter 17. Yep. 
Uh, Psalm 147 says, uh, the Lord gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens, which cry. Okay, good. I know the uh, lions 30, too. Yeah, Proverbs 30 is a little rough on the ravens. It says that I that mocks a father will be plucked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Nice. Okay. So now lions with Daniel. Samson kills one. Daniel yeah. escapes from one. Satan's like a roaring one. Jesus is the lion of Judah. All right. Now here is where... Here's where you don't know where I'm going. Okay. I know there's no... Is there like a 49er? You've got to count seven okay. weeks of years, seven times seven years uh, for Jubilee stuff. So the weeks of years can be 49 years. Interesting. Interestingly enough, when the... F- I the, thought you the, were going to go for gold diggers. When the three men were in the fiery furnace, uh, the flames rose 49 cubits high. I don't what? know if you No. And Jesus said uh, to forgive someone 70 times seven times, which is actually 490, mm-hmm. but it's in that... But zone. who's counting? But who's counting? Actually, we are. It's 21 past. Ryan to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Why does the priest give us a penance after confession? The priest gives us a penance after confession that we may satisfy God for the temporal punishment due to sins. Imagine that you got into a fight with a friend, and you had exchanged words, and maybe your friend hit you once or twice. Afterwards, your friend comes to you and says, Well, I'm sorry for what I've done. And you say, I'm sorry too. Even though you have forgiven each other, there still may be wounds inside of your heart from what you have done. And this helps us to see why it is that we have to do penance after we've been forgiven. Because to be forgiven is to say that the eternal consequences of our sin is no longer applied to us. But the temporal consequences, that may still be something that wounds us. And so this shows us then that penance is directed toward healing our souls and then showing God that we truly are sorry for what we've done. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Stephanie Mann back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Go read her blog over at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning, Anna. We're continuing our series uh, based on Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors from Sophia Institute Press. And we're not looking at a particular martyr or confessor today, sort of a general experience of Catholics during the time of the penal laws. What were the penal laws? Well, penal laws were those laws that that had been passed in England, and there were various iterations of them. But basically what they came down to is that a Catholic priest was not allowed to be in the country, especially if he's an Englishman returning, and Catholics were not allowed to attend 
mass. They had to attend English Anglican services, Church of England services, and uh, if they didn't, they would be fined. Hmm. And as those laws kind of increased in, in uh, penalties, uh, if you attended mass, you could be arrested and and tried as and convicted of of a, kind of a heresy against the English church and executed. So both the priest was in danger and the recusant Catholics was in great danger. So these visits that priests made to houses of Catholics to offer mass and give and the sacraments were fraught with danger, but also you can tell from the way this uh, missionary priest writes to someone describing his experiences or the general experience is they were met with tremendous fervor and zeal and desire. They, these wow. pe- pe- Catholics were, I, I use the word there, they were hungry for the, yes. the sacraments. They were hungry, especially for this experiencing the, the sacrifice and participating in the sacrifice of the mass. It's so inspiring. Really yes, gives yes. you chills this this entry. As you say, a letter of a missionary priest. We don't know who that priest is. And I know right. you you tried to do some digging to find out the mm-hmm. source of this letter and couldn't couldn't quite find it. But right. nonetheless, um just an incredible recounting of the priest's experience here. Why don't you tell us about how a priest yeah. would go about being able to celebrate mass in someone's home. Yeah. Well, he would, as he, the letter describes, he comes to the house and he may be, indeed, he may be a stranger. They may not have seen this priest. He may be new on the circuit. The last one may have been executed. So who knows, or had to go into exile. So they greet him. He immediately gives them his blessing. They, 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 take him to, they take him to a room that they have prepared as an oratory. In other words, they have it set up for mass. They have the hidden all everything that's hidden usually out for his use and he immediately gives them a blessing and then he has to remind them i have to leave tomorrow i can't stay this is going to be a short visit uh and so then they all prepare for confession because they all want him to hear their confessions who knows when they'll have another opportunity for it and then uh, the next morning he celebrates mass for them they all receive holy communion then it's interesting he kind of gives this detail that he preaches he probably gives more of an exhortation and maybe there's some uh, update about what what's going on in, in the catholic world outside england and then he gives them their blessing and then he uh, he leaves and he goes on to the next house or or whatever and there is a mention here of the the catholic association which we discussed covered one time when we uh, looked at the career life and career of george gilbert who was a young catholic gentleman and these were men who helped priests leading them to the different uh, uh houses that they the safe houses that they were going to and so it was and and then there's this detail i thought that was particularly interesting for us to think of in our day, if the mass does not last nearly an hour, many are discontented. They wow. want to dwell in this uh, sacrifice this, and in this this mass. They want it, and yeah. they 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 don't want it to end. I think is what he's saying is they really don't want it to end. And if they if there's going to be a gathering of priests, and again, I think this would probably be these he made this might be a Jesuit priest when they're speaking about this, they would stay for each mass even though they can't receive holy communion more than once they would stay for each mass because again this is their opportunity to receive the to participate in that sacrifice and to 
celebrate be be catholics basically yeah. is what what there is well it's so such a convicting the, point yeah. you bring it you is. bring this up at at your blog um reflecting on on this point that they they just so desired to be there in that i mean you think of what it must have felt like in those times yeah. to to be deprived of the mass and and not only just deprived of it but having you know putting your life at stake in order to yes. attend this mass, and you were reflecting on it in light of of COVID, when when mass right. was taken away from us for for a time, and you know, Stephanie, I'm not sure if I missed mass as much as I should have when I read something like this. I mean, yes. I missed mass. Don't get me wrong, but right. Oh my gosh, when I look at the way that they embraced the holy sacrifice of the mass when they were able to to attend. I don't think I was grateful enough when when mass returned yeah. after COVID. That's true. I know that. Yeah, I remember the day that that I was at the cathedral and, and the announcement was made that this would be the last mass for some time. It 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 was a shock to me. It, it, it you're right. It was such a shock. And then to endure the lack of the mass was one thing. But then yes, when it came back. To, to have that fervor that these recusant Catholics had had. And also, I think there's a point that, that, that when Father Bowden was writing this, there were probably Catholics who had heard of their grandparents going through this, especially yeah. if they were from Ireland, because that was so even true. more recent. Yeah. It, it is. It's a wonderful, wonderful meditation on how much we should value our sacraments Most and how definitely. grateful we should be to our priests and to the structures that we have and the freedom that we have. Amen to that. Go read Stephanie's blog post over at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. Pick up a copy of Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's book as well. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. Have a good week. You do the same. Thank you. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Six religious sisters kidnapped in Haiti earlier this month have been freed. Vatican News reports Haiti's Bishops Conference confirmed the news that the Sisters of the Congregation of St. Anne were released along with two lay people who had also been abducted from a bus by unidentified armed men on January 19th who were seeking ransom. One bishop responded to the news saying, quote, we cried out to God. He made us strong in our trials and brought our captives back to freedom, end quote. The International Court of Justice is expected to rule today on South Africa's claim that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza. The U.N. judges will not be deciding if genocide has actually occurred in the war against Hamas, but will rule on South Africa's call for emergency measures against Israel. Israel, for its part, has denied that it's committing genocide and says they're fighting Hamas in self-defense. At least 25,000 people have died in Gaza since the war began on October 7th when Hamas attacked Israel and killed more than 1,200 people. The state of Alabama has put Kenneth Eugene Smith to death by nitrogen hypoxia, the nation's first execution by this new method. Details from Mark Mayfield. He was sentenced to death for a 1988 murder and lived through a botched 2022 execution attempt. And attorney Foy Smith had asked the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to block the execution, arguing the untested method may violate the Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. The U.S. Supreme Court rejected the final appeal on Wednesday. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis yesterday celebrated an ecumenical Vespers on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul to close out the week of prayer for Christian unity. Vatican News reports he was joined at the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls by, among others, the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and Metropolitan Polycarp of Italy, who was representing the Ecumenical Patriarchate of Constantinople. In his homily, the Holy Father asserted that division does not come from God, but from the devil. And he said, quote, only love which does not appeal to the past in order to remain aloof or to point a finger, only that love in which God's name puts our brothers and sisters before the ironclad defense of our own religious structures will unite us, end quote. Also yesterday, Pope Francis spoke to officials with the Roman Rota, encouraging them to discern annulment cases prayerfully. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tullock reports. Pope Francis did not mince his words in his address to the officials of the Tribunal of the Roman Rota. Without prayer, one cannot be a judge. If any of you are not praying, please resign. That would be better for everyone. Discernment, the Pope continued, is done on one's knees, imploring the gift of the Holy Spirit. Only in this way can decisions be reached that promote the good of individuals and the entire church community. I ask each one of you, Pope Francis said, do you pray? Do you feel with the church? Are you humble in prayer, asking the Lord for light? A judge's prayer is essential to his task. If a judge does not pray or cannot pray, he had better go and do another job. End quote. Pope Francis then went on to stress the importance of the responsibility facing the judges of the Rota, who must decide whether to grant annulments when they have been contested by lower courts. Achieving the moral certainty necessary to make such decisions, the Pope said, is no easy feat. Officials of the tribunal, he noted, have thus been entrusted with a great responsibility by the Church, because these decisions powerfully influence the lives of individuals and families. Pope Francis also commented on his 2015 reform of annulment proceedings, which implemented various measures to speed up the process. This move, he said, was inspired by mercy towards the faithful in problematic situations. At the same time, however, he stressed, it ought not to be misunderstood. Its aim was not to favour the annulment of marriages, but rather the speed of the annulment process. And this led the Pope to discuss the tension between justice and mercy, a theme he has often returned to during his pontificate. Highlighting the importance of mercy in family pastoral work, as I did in particular in my apostolic exhortation, Amoris Laetitia, he said, does not diminish our commitment to seeking justice in annulment cases. And he went on to quote St. Thomas Aquinas, Mercy does not take away justice, but is rather the fullness of justice. I'm Joseph Tullock. And many young adults are not financially independent. That, according to a recent report from the Pew Research Center, which found that those aged 18 to 24 are most likely to rely on their parents for financial support. The study also found people in their early 30s also need assistance. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past. The Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. How dangerous sin is, be it ever so small and slight. See that you do not loiter by the wayside, but always keep on walking straight ahead. Keep on the watch against venial sin since neglecting the help of grace even once, we leave ourselves open to commit the same sin again. And with the multiplication of venial sins, we dispose ourselves to commit mortal sins. Why are you in such a hurry? Go about your work slowly and peacefully, doing one thing at a time. In this way, you will make good progress. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. We are glad that you're along on a Friday, this Feast of Saints Timothy and Titus. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by King Craycraft. He is our legal and political analyst, as it were. We keep him on a very, very generous retainer. Uh, he is also our cultural correspondent from time to time. And uh, today we get to talk about Flannery O'Connor with him. Uh, good morning, Ken. Good morning, Matt. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, I feel like we uh, bring up Flannery O'Connor a lot on this show. Uh, and it is an interesting thing to ponder because she was in some ways a product of her time on this question, yes. and she transcended her time by quite a bit on this question, the question being the question of racism. Uh, what are some of the things that, that are in the mix when it comes to understanding Flannery O'Connor's perspective on race? Yeah, well, the, the, um, the linchpin of this, of this discussion is a, a recent book uh, published by Je- Jessica Hooten Wilson, uh, which is, um, it's not, it's not, the unfinished novel of uh, Flannery O'Connor, Why Do the Heathen Rage? But it's discussion of her attempt to write a novel using various fragments of scenes and character sketches that O'Connor had created uh, and left in, in her archives when she passed away. So there's so and and the way that Wilson uh, situates it, and I think this is exactly right, is that this novel called which would have been called Why Do the Heathen Rage was a, a, O'Connor's own attempt to really confront racism and racist habits and even her own uh, uh, consciousness about race and racism in this, uh, what would have been her third novel. And the context, of course, is that she wrote as a Southerner in the South. All of her stories and her two novels are set in the South. All of her characters are uh, Southerners of a certain, most of the, uh, of a certain class 
who used certain words and had certain prejudices in the late in the mid to late 1950s and, 19, and early 1960s. And O'Connor was a child of that time. I mean, she was a child of the 1930s and 40s growing up in Milledgeville, Georgia. All of her characters are children, as it were, of that time. And her novels would not have been true to the people that she was writing about if they had not um, portrayed the characters in the way that she does. And many of her characters, her characters in her story are often blatantly racist. But even some of the characters who, who you would not call racist still use words that we would not dream of using today because the connotation is always racist. And, and that has been something of a problem for O'Connor scholars uh, in the new era that we live in, because many people question whether the racism is in the characters in her stories or is it in O'Connor herself? And that has led them to look at her, her uh, essays and especially her voluminous writing. Uh, viewers might not, or listeners might not know that O'Connor was basically housebound for the last 10 years or so of her life with the lupus that eventually killed her. Uh, and she either wrote stories or she wrote letters. And she wrote more letters than she wrote stories by, by a long uh, mm -hmm. shot. And many of these letters have also have problematic um, uh, language and, and the use of problematic terms. And so, um, and that's why the O'Connor discussion over the past several years has somewhat centered more on O'Connor herself and, uh, and her own racial attitudes uh, and her own attitudes toward black people in general than uh, than her stories well at the same time though what you see in o'connor is someone who is doing a deep and rather biting critique in a lot of ways of that racist kind of scene <laughs> that's going on around her think, uh, right so yeah exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, particularly a story a short story of hers uh, the name of which I don't even want to pronounce on the air. Uh, where, yeah, you can't uh, pronounce it. Yeah. Right, where you've got a guy who uh, is going to show uh, this kid everything, uh, you know, about the, you know, the the blacks in the South and how terrible everything is, and then they get down there, and it turns out the guy doesn't know where he is, and the shame of having to ask someone for directions, uh, you know, ask a black person for directions, just it just destroys this guy, and you see. Let me just say, the racist guy in this story is not the sympathetic figure at the end of things. Right, right. And and, and at the end of it, there's – and, and O'Connor, of course, is a Catholic. And the end of that story uh, ends with a powerful, iconic image. Uh, and, 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 and in fact, the, the icon at the, at the end of the story is the name of the story. Yes. And, and uh, Wilson discusses that, uh, this book, this story in her book, uh, as well as others, but that's exactly right. You know, another, another, uh, story that gets highlighted, uh, in this discussion is her story revelation, uh, about Mrs. Turpin. It's one of her probably two or three most famous stories. And one of the most the, judgmental the, characters in all of Flannery's. <laughs> perhaps the most judgmental character yeah. in any American literature. I mean, Mrs. Turpin, everything, every moment of her thought, and these stories are told from the standpoint of the omniscient observer, so we know what she's thinking all the time. And all the time, her whole life is judging other people and, and thanking God that she's this kind of person and not that kind of person. And some people have, have viewed this story itself as an expression of racism, but, but it's 
that's that's exactly opposite. It's an indictment of Mrs. Turpin's racism, and it's an elevation of the uh, African American people in the story in ways that they weren't typically elevated in the late 1950s and early 1960s in American literature. And and so and so, why do the heathen rage is wrestling with all of that, all the fragments in in this uh, would be novel. Uh, and I write about it in our Sunday Visitor, and I I praise Wilson for doing a very good job, not of excusing O'Connor's own prejudice, because there's no question whatsoever that O'Connor had residual prejudices uh, that were a part of her own culture and her own psychological upbringing. She, she confesses that in her letters. The question is, what did O'Connor do to overcome this residual racism? And more importantly, what did she do to shine a light? As you mentioned earlier, in a, in a way, what did she do to shine the light on racism in the South and in the 1950s and 60s? And, you know, it's interesting, Matt, scholars such as Toni Morrison and Alice Walker, two of the uh, perhaps the most preeminent Catholic, uh, well, uh, Alice Walker, but two of the most preeminent um, African-American women uh, fiction writers in the United States have praised O'Connor's work and have, cr- have confronted the racism her- themselves and have understood and contextualized it in a way that, that many r- white critics of, of O'Connor have not. And that's, I think that's a very interesting phenomenon. That is a that very interesting Tony Morrison phenomenon. and Alice Walker wrestling with it in a way that, that white critics have not. Because I think that, I think the reason, um, Matt, is that, you know, they do understand the South that O'Connor lived in. And many of O'Connor's white critics simply do not. They do and not. having yeah, they're urban the... Northerners, many of them. Uh, you know, exactly. If I could use an analogy, uh, just with a moment left here, that uh, that helps me understand this. I grew up with strong, deep-seated anti-Catholic prejudices. The more I learned, mm-hmm. the more I understood, the more I loved, the more those have gone away. But every now and then, Ken, even as a Catholic, nearly twenty years, I'll have some weird Protestant reflex that I can't explain about some Catholic thing going on. I have less of them now than I did 20 <laughs> years ago, and I suspect if I live yeah. another 20 years, I'll have even less of them then. I'm a work in progress, yeah. and I hope that I'm reducing those prejudices more and more one day at a time. <laughs> and I exactly. see a little bit of that and, in Flannery. And, that's right, and Wilson actually points that out. It's important to remember Flannery O'Connor died at the age of 39, so her output was prodigious for the, her extremely short life. And basically what Wilson says is that, but, but what you just said, Matt, she ran out of time. She didn't have time to go through what she needed to go through in order to, uh, in order to really develop a full critique of the South in a way that was as pure as we would hope that it would be. But again, she was 39 years old when she died, and, uh, and she was well on her way to doing that, and she had already done it a great deal. Uh, even in the two stories that we just discussed uh, this morning. Well, check out Ken's article over at OurSundayVisitor.com. It's called A New Book Examines the Unfinished Legacy of Flannery O'Connor. Thank you, Ken Craycraft. Great discussion. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Matt. Take care. All right, we're back after this. It's 14 till. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. 
Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hi, this is Mike Aquilino with a few words about St. Irenaeus. It's only recently that Pope Francis has declared him to be a doctor of the church. And this is unusual because he's been dead for many centuries, almost two millennia. But I think he's a man for our time because he's teaching us to think, to have an educated faith, to know the reasons for what we believe and then present those to a skeptical world. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live for the second Friday in a row, Trent Horn with us. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Till, here's Anna with headlines. Six religious sisters kidnapped in Haiti have been freed. The International Court of Justice is expected to rule today on South Africa's claim that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza. And Pope Francis spoke to officials with the Roman Rotel yesterday, encouraging them to discern annulment cases prayerfully. Next newscast in about 14-ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 11 till. Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. It's such a blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And uh, some readings this weekend that if you're not really paying attention, not preparing for Mass, might be a little bit confusing once you get to Mass, uh, particularly when the first reading is from the book of Deuteronomy, Moses speaking to the people saying, A prophet like me will the Lord your God raise up for you from among your own kin. To him you shall listen. Now, to even have any idea of what Moses is talking about, we need to know what's been happening in the life of Israel here. So can you enlighten us? Yeah, the book of Deuteronomy is super simple to remember. Of course, Deutero or duo means two or second. It's the second law, the first being given at, at Mount Sinai. But of course, the people of God during the time of the Exodus are not particularly faithful to the law, and they fall into sin multiple times. The book of Deuteronomy is given to us really at the end of their journey across the desert. After they've, journeyed, after they've wandered for 40 years, again, due to their disobedience, due to their sin, uh, they, they end up wandering for 40 years. And then this book is given to them right before they're about to enter the promised land. And Moses undertakes to explain the law. Again, I would encourage your listeners, Annie, to go back to the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verses like 1 through 5 or so. And you're going to see they're right there in Moab 
that's modern-day Jordan, standing there ready to enter the promised land, and they fall into sin again with the Moabites. And when they do, plague breaks out again. But after the plague is, is kind of uh, calms down, then Moses says, look, let me explain to you. If you didn't get it the first time, let me explain to you the second time. You know, as a parent, you'll understand this for all the parents and grandparents out there. You know, when the, you tell your, 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 your child, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you have to make your bed. And, and, and then you go up there at, you know, 10 in the morning or something like that. And the bed's not made. Okay, let me explain to you again, son. You have to pull your sheet up and then your blanket. So you make it more explicit. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. It's very explicit about the law they were given at Sinai, what they're supposed to do and not supposed to do, especially in light of the fact that they're about to enter the promised land and be living in a, in a context of the Canaanites in which it's going to be very enticing to become like all the other nations around them. Mm-hmm. And God wants his people to preserve their identity as children of God. Okay, well, what's wrong with Moses, though? I mean, like, why is Moses saying that a different prophet from among their kin is going to be the Uh, one that they'll listen to? Sure, sure. Well, Moses himself falls into a certain temptation, a certain sin. As the people of God become frustrated with Moses, right, they murmur against him. Mm -hmm. So Moses, in a sense, murmurs against them, and in a sense against God. He gets frustrated in his role, and he ends up at the second time when God instructs him to take water from the rock and to speak the Word of God and draw water from the rock which followed them in the desert, as St. Paul tells us, and yet he strikes the rock in anger. And at this moment, Moses loses his, say, his right to enter into the Promised Land, and he will d- die there just outside the Promised Land on Mount Nebo. And the people of God will remember this passage. It's so important this, in the book of Deuteronomy, this passage, because it, it gives hope even back then. In the book of Deuteronomy, hope that God is going to send them a prophet like Moses who will free them from the foreign power, this time not of, of Pharaoh in Egypt, but, well, at the time of Christ, they hope that this passage will be fulfilled in the life of Israel as they are under the dominion of uh, the Romans. But, of course, we know that Moses not only freed God's people from the dominion of Pharaoh, but more importantly freed them from the, from the sin of slavery to the evil one. That was the entire point of the Exodus, that they could get free from paganism, and return to faith in the one true God. And that is the hope that drives the expectation of the people at the Jordan River when they ask John the Baptist, are you the prophet? Are you, are you the new Moses who is to come? Of course, we know that John the Baptist is not. This person is going to be none other than the Word of God himself. Yeah, and so kind of an interesting connection that we get then in the Gospel from Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 21 through 28, is what we'll hear this weekend. And uh, we don't hear the people of God listening to Jesus. We hear a demon listening to Jesus. That's right. Even the evil spirits listen to him as we, as we hear. I love this passage in the Gospel of Mark. It's right at the beginning. I encourage all of the listeners Sunrise Morning should go back and read all of Mark chapter 1 so you can get the proper context. Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan. He goes to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, and this is really, in the Gospel of Mark, his first miracle. He goes in and he drives out demons. Listen to St. Bede 
He says, it was appropriate since death first entered into the world through the devil's envy that the healing medicine of salvation should first operate against him. The presence of the Savior is the torment of the devils. Mm -hmm. Jesus has come to free his people, again, not only from the Egyptians, not only from the Romans, but from the dominion of the devil himself. And Annie, I, I know we're short on time, but I can't let you go without a beautiful, the, the insights of St. Athanasius the Great. He says, Jesus put a bridle in the mouth of the demons that cried after him wow. from the tombs. For although what they said was true, they did not lie when they said, you are the Son of God and the Holy One of God. Yet he did not wish the truth to proceed from an unclean mouth, and especially from such as those who under pretense of truth might mingle with it their own malicious devices. Jesus goes right to the one who ensnared Adam and Eve in the beginning and put mankind under the slavery of the devil. Here at the beginning, the Gospel of Mark frees us from the dominion of the devil that we might walk again with God. Yeah, I love the Alleluia verse for this weekend uh, from Isaiah. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light on those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death. A light has arisen. We've been talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And Father, if listeners want to check out what's going on at the Institute as we approach the season of Lent very soon, where can they go? Instituteofcatholicculture.org. We've got a wonderful program planned for your spiritual journey through the great fast through Lent. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. Come check us out. And actually, uh, not this weekend, but next, uh, Archbishop Elias Shakur, the Archbishop Emeritus of Galilee, will be doing a two-part series on the parables of Jesus. It's going to be incredible. So, hope you go over there. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up next for most of our affiliates here on EWTN Radio. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word. Let us pray. The Sunrise Morning Show. It is Friday the 26th of January. It's the Feast of Saints Timothy and Titus. Let's pray a prayer for God's mercy. This one's written by Padre Pio. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O Lord, we ask for a boundless confidence and trust in your divine mercy and the courage to accept the crosses and sufferings which bring immense goodness to our souls and that of your church. Help us to love you with a pure and contrite heart and to humble ourselves beneath your cross as we climb the mountain of holiness, carrying our cross that leads to heavenly glory. May we receive you with great faith and love in holy communion and allow you to act in us as you desire for your greater glory. O Jesus, most adorable heart and eternal fountain of divine love, may our prayer find favor before the divine majesty of your heavenly Father. Amen. Saints Timothy and Titus, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you are along on a Friday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We've got a video feed. You can enter the chat, as it were, on Facebook and YouTube. Those links are all right there in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, so much to get to. Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo is going to uh, reflect on the question 
of a 12-year-old Jesus to his parents. Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Uh, and the implications of that question. We've been going through questions that Jesus asks in the scriptures with Dr. De Lorenzo. Bill Schmidt from Onward will unpack the World Communications Day message from the Holy Father. Bobby Schindler joins us as well. Also, Father Jonathan Duncan to preview the Sunday Mass readings. So do stay with us if you can. Two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Six religious sisters of the Congregation of St. Anne who were kidnapped in Haiti earlier this month have been freed. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. The two lay people, reportedly their bus driver and a niece of one of the nuns, were also released. Unidentified armed men had stopped the bus on which they were traveling, demanding a ransom of $3.5 million, according to local media reports. The president of Haiti's Bishops' Conference, Archbishop Max Loroy Mesidor, confirmed their release to Vatican Media. Archbishop Mesidor expressed his joy at the news and thanked all those who had paid attention and offered support in this situation. We give thanks to God. Thank you for your support, he said. Pope Francis, during his Sunday Angelus, made a heartfelt appeal for the release of the six nuns. The Pope said he had learned with sorrow of the kidnapping. In my heartfelt plea for their release, he said, I pray for social concord in the country, and I invite everyone to bring an end to the violence, which is causing a great deal of suffering to that dear population. On Wednesday, the Catholic Church in Haiti organized a day of prayer, meditation, and Eucharistic adoration for the religious sisters and all the kidnapped people. Meanwhile, the vice president of Haiti's Bishops' Conference, Bishop Pierre-André Dumas of Ansevu Metagoena, also gave thanks for the release of the eight who had been abducted. This traumatic event, he wrote, has once again put our faith to the test, but it remains unshakable. We cried out to God, the bishop said. He made us strong in our trials and brought our captives back to freedom. Speaking to Vatican Radio recently, Bishop Dumas said he wished to offer himself as a hostage in exchange for the nuns. Kidnapping women who dedicate their lives to saving the poor and the young, he said, is a gesture that will see God's judgment. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The International Court of Justice is expected to rule today on South Africa's claim that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza. The U.N. judges have said they will not decide if genocide has actually occurred in the war against Hamas, but will rule on South Africa's call for emergency measures against Israel. The state of Alabama has put Kenneth Eugene Smith to death by nitrogen hypoxia, the nation's first execution by this new method. More from Mark Mayfield. He was sentenced to death for a 1988 murder and lived through a botched 2022 execution attempt. And attorney Foy Smith had asked the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to block the execution, arguing the untested method may violate the Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. The U.S. Supreme Court rejected the final appeal on Wednesday. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis spoke to officials with the Roman Rota yesterday, encouraging them to discern annulment cases prayerfully. Vatican News reports the Holy Father spoke about the tension between justice and mercy and said, quote, a judge's prayer is essential to his task. If a judge does not pray or cannot pray, he had better go and do another job, end quote. The Republican National Committee could soon move to declare Donald Trump the presumptive 2024 nominee for the party. 
Brian Shook reports. A draft resolution to declare Trump the GOP nominee is currently being considered by the party, despite Nikki Haley's vow to stay in the race. RNC members could vote on the resolution next week in Nevada. Trump called on the party to unite around his candidacy Tuesday after his victory in the New Hampshire primary. I'm Brian Shook. And a new camera has been invented that allows people, apparently to see the world through animal vision. According to a report out this week, a team of British and American scientists have come up with a camera that records video in four colors, including ultraviolet, which is outside the range of human perception, but can be seen by birds. The camera then turns the data into, quote, perceivable units for different animals based on what is known about the animal's photoreceptors. The researchers have also released videos on social media that demonstrate animal vision, like how a bird might see a butterfly or how a mouse might see a rainbow. My question on this, Matt, is how, like, what confirmation do we have that this is actually truly how an, like, does the animal say, yep, that's how I see it? We don't, uh, we can't get the animal to do that. Well, I mean, I guess so, if you, like, figure out what the rods and cones do. You can sort of simulate that stuff. I mean, but to say how does an how does a mouse see the world? I think is a much more deeply philosophical deeper, question, deeper question than just the mere visual aspect of it. Do you think so? Well, there's the imago dei factor. So even when the mouse sees the world, if we could see like the mouse, we wouldn't still see like the mouse, right? Mm-hmm. We would be consciously thinking to ourselves. I'm seeing the world like a mouse would see it. The mouse would never think to itself, I'm seeing the world as myself a mouse. Okay, so are we talking about mice like Tale of Despero mice or like Mickey Mouse mice? Well, those are mice created by humans. I think those are anthropomorphic mice. mice. Well, I know, but I think those mice see the world differently. Okay, so an anthropomorphic mouse, Anna Mitchell, is not made in the image of God. It's made by somebody made in the image of God. I think we're we should stop pairs. this right now. Yeah. Good to be going. Today is Friday, January the 26th. Happy to have you along with us on this feast of Saints Timothy and Titus, two recipients of letters from St. Paul, whom we celebrated yesterday. Saints Timothy and Titus, pray for us. It's eight past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. He is with the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame, host of the Church Life Today podcast. And we've been going through his book, Reflecting on Questions in A God Who Questions, from our Sunday visitor. Good morning, Dr. DeLorenzo. Good morning, Annie. It's good to have you back. And we are going to be looking at the story of the finding of the boy Jesus in the temple for the question that we will ponder today. We find this in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. I'm going to pick it up here at verse 46. So basically, they go to Jerusalem, the Holy Family does, for the Passover, and Mary and Joseph are traveling back and assume that Jesus is hanging out with his cousins or something like kids are wont to do when you're in a big caravan with the big family and then they realize he's not there, so they have to go back to Jerusalem to find him. So here is uh, 46 and following. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. And he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I'm going to stop there for now because... I have to say, the parent in me wants to react immediately to that because, I mean, if one of my kids said that to me after they were lost for three days, um, I would be assuming that they're giving me some lip here. But we need to step back, don't we, and and really ponder what this question is that, that Jesus is asking. I think that's right. And I think it's also important to kind of go with that first instinct that you mentioned to feel maybe in ourselves a little bit of that rush of frustration that borders on anger and maybe moving Mm -hmm. into the vicinity of rage. Yep. (laughs) um, Because it gives us, it also, I think, gives us an insight into the um, sort of composure. I don't know if that's the right word or the countenance of Mary and Joseph to receive the word of Jesus that is spoken here, which, as you rightly note, does seem like a stinging little bar back towards them. And I think that is part of the revelation of this episode, because as we hear at the end, and maybe I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but as we hear at the end, he went down in the after this day, he went down to Nazareth and was obedient to them. Mm-hmm. And the obedience that he renders to them is the obedience to two people who father who follow the father's will not always knowing fully what the father's will is of course but they follow the father's will because they heed the son that has been given and part of that i think is swallowing what the frustration the anger it's allowing pride to dissipate it's allowing confusion to remain in place so that they can learn him as he is and not as they think he ought to be yeah, you know, I've been kind of struck. I was I, I, I was struck by the part where it says that they were astonished. And I think maybe that's because we're in the Gospel of Mark, um, very early on in the Gospel of Mark in the lectionary readings for, for the Sunday Gospels. And I've been seeing this word astonished hmm. quite a bit in, in the Gospel passages. And so he's not just astonishing you know, the teachers and the scribes in the temple or or those who were in the synagogue with him in his uh, adult ministry time. But he's astonishing his parents as well. It's I don't know. I'm not sure what to make of it just yet. But I just think it's so interesting that everybody's just astonished by him. Yes. Yeah. No, no, that's a great point. And I think St. Thomas Aquinas and others have said, you know, if you have fully grasped it, it is not God. In Mm. other words, we always must be open to being uh, reconfigured, reformed, transformed by the word of God, never to settle into the complacency of understanding. Now, here in Luke's gospel, I think that astonishment also goes along with the the marveling of the shepherds earlier. Excuse me, the marveling of Simeon and Anna. The marveling that we hear, or the astonishment that we hear, even of uh, Mary and Joseph earlier, but that astonishment, as you've pointed out, always leads, it seems, to a further depth of contemplation that focuses on Mary in particular, and it has to do with her pondering. 
her pondering is the welcoming of the mystery of Jesus into the depths of her heart. And we hear that at the angelic announcement that is told through the shepherds to her and Joseph. It says, all that heard it marveled at what was being said to them or were astonished. Yet Mary pondered these things in her heart. Of course, she opens her heart or her heart is singled out in the prophecy of Simeon that her heart will receive the wounds, it will be pierced. And here at the end of this episode, well, first we hear, as you pointed out, that both Joseph and Mary are astonished. But by the end, it says that Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And Mary is presented in Luke's gospel right from the beginning. She is the portrait of a disciple. She is the fullness of discipleship. And we see here that to be a disciple means to hear the word of God, That means to receive the word of God into our absolute depths, to continue to meditate on the word of God, and then ultimately to act on the word of God. And so I think, you know, your point about the astonishment, which is really a beautiful insight in connecting it to Mark, also puts a spotlight more fully on Mary to see the full figure of discipleship and really our call as Christians to follow in that pattern. Yeah, and when he says... Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I mean, of course, literally, he's talking about the temple in which he is sitting when when Mary and Joseph find him there. But but how have you been or how have you mused on this idea of the father's house? Hmm. Well, I looked ahead, you know, in my reflection on this passage to those great parables in the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel, the parables of the lost, and in particular, perhaps Jesus's most famous and most beautiful parable, the parable of the lost son or the Mm -hmm. lost sons or the prodigal son. And that parable begins not about either one of the sons, but about the father. It says a man had two sons. It's really a focus on each of those sons in relation to the father. Well, those two sons are both called to be in his father's house. The younger son who gets himself lost, who is wayward and sinful and spends all of his father's inheritance after wishing his father dead. And the elder son who stays very close to home, but is bitter at heart and estranged and and seeks to keep himself estranged from his younger brother and his wayward ways. And I think that the father in that parable, as Jesus presents it to us, says to both of his sons, you are to be at home with me in my house. And I think we ought to maybe think about each of those two sons saying to the other one, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And in other words, we must make room for one another, the sinner for the obedient and bitter one and the obedient and bitter one for the sinner who has returned. Jesus, of course, is both those sons in the one son of God. He, as St. Paul muses in his letter to the Philippians, is the one who, though he was in the form of God, did not deem equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. And in that, we see that Jesus goes to the far country where the younger son went, all the way into the realm of sinfulness. But he's also the obedient one who's always at home and welcomes sinners back. And so to be in his father's house means to make room for the others and to be at one in him who is the son of God. We've been talking to Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. You can find his book, A God Who Questions, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much, Dr. DeLorenzo. 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything? 
even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. On Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Father Joseph and Doug Keck mine decades of phone calls answered by Mother Angelica. No subject is off limits and no problem too big for the wisdom and compassion of the one and only Mother Angelica. Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Sunday afternoon, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. 19 minutes past the hour on this Feast of Saints Timothy and Titus, Friday, January 26th. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Six religious sisters from the congregation of St. Anne, who were kidnapped earlier this month in Haiti, have been freed. The International Court of Justice is expected to rule today on South Africa's claim that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza, and Pope Francis yesterday celebrated an ecumenical Vespers on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul to close out the week of prayer for Christian unity. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show, and a happy feast day to all the Tims mm-hmm. who, are, uh, who are out there this morning. I know quite a few Tims in my world, Tims and Timothys and Timmies. Team. Team. Some call Teams. them Tim. Tim. So, Big happy feast day to all of you. That Tim. And to uh, the one Titus listening this morning, probably. There's one? Know. Titus is not, I don't know. Okay. There's not that many Tituses. But Can there I ought tell to you be. something? Uh, this is not related to the name Titus, but last night um, we had our first like real class for Patristics 101 at the Institute of Catholic Culture. There was a woman there on screen with her toddler. His name? Athanasius. Oh, Athanasius. Sorry, it was just like, you know, unique Catholic names. Okay. Triggered it. Well, there you go. Cool. 
subscribe to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes. When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. Leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I am Bishop Roger Foyes of the Diocese of Covington with a reading from the Imitation of Christ. If only I could find you alone, O Lord, and tell you all that is in my heart, then I could enjoy you as much as my soul desires. Then you only would speak to me and I to you as a lover does to a beloved or a friend to a good friend. This is my one desire and what I pray for, to be entirely united to you and to withdraw my heart from all created things, that by holy communion and the frequent offering of Mass, I may learn ever to delight in the eternal things of heaven. Dear Lord, when shall I be completely one with you and entirely forgetful of myself? You in me, and I in you. I am Bishop Roger Foyes of the Diocese of Covington for Sacred Heart Radio. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bill Schmidt from Onward.net. He's a veteran communications guy who's worked in a lot of different areas of public relations and other sorts of things. So I know that he, this week, uh, this past week, was uh, one celebrating the patronage of St. Francis de Sales on January 24th. Happy belated feast day, Bill. Ah, uh, same to you. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, he's the patron saint of journalism and writing and all good things like that. Well, that's also why the Church, every year now, puts out a World Day of Social Communications message on his feast each year, and Pope Francis focused on artificial intelligence. Uh, he's talked about this in a bunch of different ways, recently. What are some of the themes that have emerged uh, from his recent talks and that have uh, kind of been reinforced in this year's World Day of Social Communications message? Well, uh, the message is uh, titled Artificial Intelligence and the Wisdom of the Heart Towards a Fully Human Communication, and that is very much in line with the things he's said uh, for the World Day of Peace and at various uh, conferences with uh, technologists and ethicists and other uh, religious uh, communities. Uh, he, he's basically very concerned that uh, we must be rooted in our own minds and hearts and stories. He's very big, of course, on every person having uh, their own story to tell uh, because of the dignity, the unique dignity that each of us has. And he's concerned that Artificial intelligence is going to abstract everything, and uh, it, it will make us kind of intellectually lazy and morally 
lazy because it's so gosh darn convenient and um, uh, very open to uh, some uh, dangers like uh, persuasion and propaganda. You know, this AI thing has happened so fast that it's easy to forget kind of like when it started rolling like this. Uh, In your post on this at at Onward.net, you reminded me of something that I had forgotten, and that was in November of 2020, the Pope's monthly prayer intention was that robotics and AI would remain always at the service of human beings. So the Church is not new to this conversation. Um, But I wanted to get into—you mentioned that he provides a long paragraph of a bunch of questions that we should be asking when it comes to technology and when it comes to uh, the relationship of human beings made in the image of God and technology made by human beings. What are some of these questions that the Pope says we should be asking ourselves about AI? Well, uh, everything from how the uh, Internet will provide uh, or threaten us with uh, search engines that, uh, you know, accentuate certain things, celebrate certain people and ideas, and uh, cancel other ideas. And uh, he's uh, concerned that there won't be the transparency that we can see uh, how our supposed knowledge coming from AI is actually formulated. Uh, some Somebody's ideas, indeed, some cloud of everybody's ideas, is going to be used to generate this. And all of that has to happen with a deep sense of morality and the common good. Uh, he's concerned that, uh, you know, is this being done purely for profit and uh, purely for control of people's minds rather than the expansion of our thoughts and creativity. Yeah. Yeah, I, that is one of the fascinating things about this is the the idea that if AI is generating things and using algorithms to come up with a composite image or a composite right. idea <laughs> based on sort of a demographical statistical analysis, that's a robot basically using data to create an idea as opposed to like how ideas should actually happen, which is like from a human heart formed in a good conscience, <laughs> you know, exactly. in faith, hope, and charity. Those are very different ways of formulating ideas. That's right. That's right. And uh, that captures the theme of stories, which uh, has been uh, one of the Pope's themes uh, in a, a number of World Communications Day messages. Our stories are what reveal uh, the fact that, uh, you know, we've got a certain genius, but we've also got uh, frailties uh, and the need for hope and the need to sort through reality uh, together. And it's not something that we ha- we can hand off or outsource to uh, uh, AI or to uh, other people. This is something, and that's what I think he's saying, bottom line, that uh, as AI raises its game, we have to raise our game, and we have to uh, be uh, uh, more independently drawn uh, with our relationship with Christ, uh, who is the truth. And the um, AI will tell us that, uh, oh, here's all the truth you need to know. Yeah. And the church says, no, it's deeper than that. Uh, what's fascinating to me about all this, uh, every time a World Communications Day comes out, uh, message comes out, you know, it may address a specific kind of technology, in this case, 
artificial intelligence. And there are some good insights here and some good things to add to the sort of global conversation about AI. But I don't see anything here that is out of step with what the church said in the Second Vatican Council document, Intermorifica, on social communications. Like all the seeds of this conversation are in that document from the Second Vatican Council. And the church is just building on what she's been thinking about. The church has been thinking about human beings for a very, right. very long time. Bill Schmidt, if I just want to uh, read your uh, analysis and breakdown of the Pope's World Communications Day message, how do they find your stuff? Oh, it's uh, at onward.net and also at billschmidt.substack.com. Yeah, check out Bill's Substack. Check out onward.net, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a great day. Oh, thank you, Matt. All the best. And again, while you're at our site, uh, enter your email address, subscribe. You can get the show notes delivered to your inbox every day with links to our guests and links to our video stream and links to all kinds of stuff. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Six religious sisters who had been kidnapped in Haiti have now been freed. Vatican News reports that Haiti's Bishops Conference confirmed the news that the sisters of the Congregation of St. Anne were released along with two lay people who had also been abducted from a bus by unidentified armed men on January 19th. One bishop responded to the news saying, quote, We cried out to God. He made us strong in our trials and brought our captives back to freedom. Pope Francis spoke to officials with the Roman Rota yesterday, encouraging them to discern annulment cases prayerfully. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tollock reports. Pope Francis did not mince his words in his address to the officials of the Tribunal of the Roman Rota. Without prayer, one cannot be a judge. If any of you are not praying, please resign. That would be better for everyone. Discernment, the Pope continued, is done on one's knees, imploring the gift of the Holy Spirit. Only in this way can decisions be reached that promote the good of individuals and the entire church community. I ask each one of you, Pope Francis said, do you pray? Do you feel with the church? Are you humble in prayer, asking the Lord for light? A judge's prayer is essential to his task. If a judge does not pray or cannot pray, he had better go and do another job. End quote. Pope Francis then went on to stress the importance of the responsibility facing the judges of the rota, who must decide whether to grant annulments when they have been contested by lower courts. Achieving the moral certainty necessary to make such decisions, the Pope said, is no easy feat. Officials of the tribunal, he noted, have thus been entrusted with a great responsibility by the church because these decisions powerfully influence the lives of individuals and families. Pope Francis also commented on his 2015 reform of annulment proceedings, which implemented various measures to speed up the process. This move, he said, was inspired by mercy towards the faithful in problematic situations. At the same time, however, he stressed, it ought not to be misunderstood. Its aim was not to favour the annulment of marriages, but rather the speed of the annulment process. And this led the Pope to discuss the tension between justice and mercy, a theme he has often returned to during his pontificate. Highlighting the importance of mercy in family pastoral work, as I did in particular in my apostolic exhortation, Amoris Laetitia, he said, does not diminish our commitment to seeking justice in annulment cases. And he went on to quote St. Thomas Aquinas, Mercy does not take away justice, but is rather the fullness of justice. I'm Joseph Tullock. The International Court of Justice is expected to rule today on South Africa's claim that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza. The U.N. judges won't actually decide if genocide has occurred in the war against Hamas, but will rule on South Africa's call for emergency measures against Israel. Israel has denied it's committing genocide and says they're fighting Hamas in self-defense. At least 25,000 people have died in Gaza since the war began on October 7th, when 
Hamas attacked Israel and killed more than 1,200 people. The state of Alabama has put Kenneth Eugene Smith to death by nitrogen hypoxia, the nation's first execution by this new method. He was sentenced to death for a 1988 murder and lived through a botched execution attempt in 2022. An attorney for Smith had asked the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals and the U.S. Supreme Court to block the execution, arguing this untested method may violate the Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. New government data shows the U.S. economy grew faster than expected in the last quarter of 2023. Mark Mayfield reports. The Commerce Department reported on Thursday that the country's gross domestic product increased by 3.3% year over year in 2023's fourth quarter. That was more than the 2% growth expected by Wall Street. The report comes as the race for the White House heats up. President Biden has been touting his economic policies, while GOP frontrunner former President Trump has warned that the country's economy will crash within the next year. I'm Mark Mayfield. Meanwhile, many young adults are not financially independent. That according to a recent report from the Pew Research Center, which found that those aged 18 to 24 are most likely to rely on their parents for financial support. The study also found that people in their early 30s also need assistance, with almost one in five saying their parents help out with their household bills. Pope Francis yesterday celebrated an ecumenical Vespers on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul to close out the week of prayer for Christian unity. Vatican News reports he was joined at the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls by, among others, the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and Metropolitan Polycarp of Italy, who was representing the Ecumenical Patriarchate of Constantinople. That's the news. It's the If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. What does the church say about purgatory? One of the things that separates the Catholic faith from most other religions of the world is the concept of purgatory. Catholics believe that heaven is restricted to those souls having no trace of sin remaining. But most of us die with the effects of sin still marking our souls. God then in His great mercy spares from eternal damnation those who are not in a state of serious sin at the time of death, allowing the stain of past sins to be removed that their souls might be made pure. In purgatory, souls suffer for a while in satisfaction for their sins before they can enter heaven. The principal suffering of these souls consists in the pain of experiencing an intense longing for God. We believe, too, that purification can be assisted by the prayers of the living. Thus it is that we offer prayers for the dead at Mass, on All Souls Day, and hopefully every day. We do all this because we believe it is a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead. For more information, contact your local pastor or refer to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 954 and 1030 through 32. 
For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Deacon Bill Mullaney. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy Feast of Saints Timothy and Titus. Bobby Schindler is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network online at lifeandhope.com. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Annie. So I know you are quite grateful for some comments made by comedian Kevin James. Many will remember him from the uh, the sitcom King of Queens. But tell us what he had to say in a recent uh, streaming stand-up comedy special. Right, Annie. Uh, well, it was just released uh, this week, and I received an email from a supporter saying, hey, you need to watch the uh, Kevin James new stand-up on Amazon. Uh, there's a segment in there that he talks about the uh, uh, medically vulnerable, uh, just generally speaking. So I went and, and watched it, and boy, and it was a short segment, Annie, but he sure said a lot. And mm. uh, it was uh, very uh, supportive of people in conditions like my sister. Now, he didn't mention Terry, and I'm kind of glad he didn't, because I think if he did, people would maybe lost or, you know, how... The wolves come out, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, how, how cases, and wouldn't actually hear what he said. But he talks about a mother who was in a coma, and, and her kids decided to end her life. And once they did, and they removed her life support, she emerged from the coma. So he made kind of a joke out of it. But then he went on to use the words that we talk about uh, all the time, Annie, when, when people say, who would want to live this way? Quality of life has reasons to end the lives of these individuals. And, and Kevin James was poking fun on, of it, saying, we ought never use those types of terms to end a person's life in these, in, you know, in these conditions. And then he, he said how he would want to be kept alive if, if in similar situations. And then he said, uh, quite frankly, and asserted that it will be only God that decides uh, when my life ends. So wow. it, was, it was wonderful. Look, you know, what motivates me, uh, yeah, I, I think too much of our nation, uh, uh, I, I think we, we, we look at celebrities and follow them, and, and we're a celebrity, celebrity-focused nation. And, and there's nothing wrong with liking celebrities. I think it crosses the line when we start to idolize them. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, I like a lot of celebrities out there and, you know, for, for their craft. Uh, but but uh, what motivates uh, me and, and the work that we do is uh, uh, protecting the, the medically vulnerable. And if anyone out there supports... Uh, they're, you know, they're, the work that we do and supports protecting these individuals and provides a voice for them, well, then I'm, I want to draw attention to it. When someone like Kevin James, with the enormous audience that he has, uh, you know, says things that, that are, that are um, uh, and, and, you know, similar to what we're doing, then, gosh, I'm, I'm going to try and, and draw as many people to watch that uh, because it is important that there's other others that, that feel the same way we do because there's so much negativity about Terry mm-hmm. and people in those types of conditions. So that's kind of what, what happened this week, and, and we were just really happy someone like him would, would say, say these types of things, and, and, uh, uh, and we just wanted to kind of uh, draw attention to it. Now, I don't want to knock what was probably a really difficult situation for, for the family in this particular story that he brought up but um because they may have 
thought, I mean, I don't know the situation of, of this particular family, but they may have thought they were doing the right thing for her truly. And, you know, that they and, and in a way they did, actually, because they take her off life support and that then allows her to beat the odds and become a news story and gives us an opportunity uh, to to talk about the need to to give people more time, particularly when it comes to these brain injuries. And I haven't seen what I haven't seen this segment that that you're referring to, but I can only imagine that he's bringing this up like, oh, hey, mom, we decided to let you die and took you off life support. And here you are awake and you wonder, like, oh, boy, what's mom going to say to me knowing that that's what we did to her? And and so um, using comedy in that way actually might prick some consciences here like oh man if my mom wakes up out of this and doesn't die like what is she gonna say to me when when she can speak to me knowing knowing that i was trying to make this happen you know what i mean right and, and it's interesting annie the, the the story that he uses uh we 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 uh we we read about these types of uh incidences uh, quite frequently, and and he does it in a very tasteful way. Sure, obviously it's a stand up, and it's 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 funny. It's actually a funny segment. The the, the whole the whole uh, stand up is great. I mean, it's family friendly. He's he's not crude. Uh, doesn't Lots use any profanity. And, and yeah. yes, and you know, with with what you get today, mostly uh, you have to stop watching it because it becomes so filthy. But but Kevin James is it's it's worth watching, and you can watch, and the whole family can watch it. And, and this segment, as I said, it's only a few minutes, but it's it's quite funny. Uh, so yes, I think you're right. I think it will make people think, and and what he says is true. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, he he speaks the truth about this issue, and what we try to uh, um, share with people about people in these types of conditions that they need time, and and uh, yeah, it'll make you laugh. It's funny, but it makes you think. And mm-hmm. we're just, uh, gosh, I'm just really happy that that he that he you know who, when do when do people ever talk about this issue, particularly comedians, when it's not. Uh, advocating for death. So when someone is actually uh, advocating to, to continue life and 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 you know, frankly saying uh, only God's going to determine when my life ends. Gosh, it was just so refreshing and encouraging. And and I got to tell you, it brought a smile to my face. Absolutely. And I mean, the general cultural attitude toward the medically vulnerable and this idea of like I wouldn't want to live that way. I mean, that attitude does need to be checked. And and something like comedy does that in. I think a really effective way, even more than um, you know, some might perceive others as wagging your finger at them for having this attitude. But when it's when it's in a joke, it's a little easier to to swallow and a little easier to to think about. I think. Oh yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, 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 I mean, I can't tell you uh, how many how many. Um times we get messages and i've even heard of myself of comedians that actually bring up terry's case and and make fun of her in, in sometimes a very nasty way yeah, uh and, and that's yeah it's very very disturbing and, and uh and frustrating um and but you know it's a sign of the times annie uh not not surprising unfortunately so again when, when you get someone like kevin james uh su- supporting uh the work that we do um you know, I, I just hope his message goes far and wide. Well, it just goes to show you the power of something like comedy. Was it? I, and I, I'm sorry to even bring it up, but was it? Was it Saturday Night Live that had that horrible rend? Or no, it was. Um, it was one of those cartoon guy. shows, The Family Guy. That's it. Yeah, The Family um, Guy. Which, 
was so awful and 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 probably formed a lot of opinions about your sister's case and it just goes to show you the power of comedy for good or for ill and so um so we applaud kevin james for trying to move the cultural needle in in the right direction uh using his comedy and bobby if uh, listeners want to get in touch with you um, if they have a situation that they would like to speak to you about, how can they get in touch? Sure, and you can also read our press release if you go to lifeandhope.com, lifeandhope.com. And you can find lifeandhope.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Bobby, thank you so much. Thank you, Annie. God bless you. You too. Thank you very much. All right, coming up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, Father Jonathan Duncan joins us to preview the readings for Mass on Sunday. It's quarter till. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founder, St. Daniel Comboni, as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. You know, we talk story with each of our very unique guests for the whole hour so that you can go deep with us as you yourself pursue your own story of heroic virtue and as you pursue intimacy with God. The Bear Wozniak Adventure, Saturday night, 6 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live for the second Friday in a row, Trent Horn with us. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. The six religious sisters of the Congregation of St. Anne who were kidnapped in Haiti earlier this month have been freed along with two lay people who were kidnapped with them. The International Court of Justice is expected to rule today on South Africa's claim that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza, a claim that Israel denies. And Pope Francis yesterday celebrated an ecumenical Vespers on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul to close out the week of prayer for Christian unity. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston. He does all kinds of things down there in the diocese. 
Good morning, Father. Good to be with you, Matt. All right, so there's a pretty interesting gospel reading from Mark. Uh, There are some demon encounters, all kinds of things. But I want to briefly, and you tell me if you want to pass on this question, and we can pass (laughs) on this question. I can see where this is headed. I saw it a mile away. Go ahead. You saw it a mile away. Uh, So everybody in the second reading, if you don't know this already, is going to hear from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul says, uh, brothers and sisters, an unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, but a married man is anxious about the things of the world. Uh, You know, I'm telling this for your own benefit, you know, and he's basically saying, I wish that all of you were unmarried like me, but I understand some of you have to be. Most priests who have to uh, stand in a pulpit on Sunday and preach are unmarried, but because of the nature of your ministry before you became Catholic, you were married, and so you are a married man and a priest. I am. (laughs) Are you going to touch this with a 10-foot pole or leave it alone? No, I am not. I will be preaching on the gospel, so glad you asked. No, you know, I I tell people, like, and, and my wife would be the first one to agree, Paul is right. <laughs> he's, he's not wrong here. Like, I, I tell yeah. people, like, you know, there are, there are things, I mean, just to put it in, in very simple terms, there are things I would do, could do, um, for the diocese, for, you know, the, the different places where I serve. For the uh, hospital, for, for all be, kinds of yeah, things. Yeah. Ways I could be more available, ways I could, I could do more with campus ministry. But I simply have to say no, because um, I also have to be present to my family and want to be present to my family. But yeah, if, if I weren't married, um, there, yeah, there would be tons of things that, that I would be doing. There would be... Um, other concerns that I would have, and on these concerns I wouldn't have. So absolutely, every married priest I know uh, knows that the, the words of St. Paul um, are correct and are wise, and are wise for, for clergy. Um, yeah, ab- absolutely. Hey, I came from a world of married clergy, and people who idealize married clergy in the Catholic Church, I just want to be like, man, have you ever seen a couple pastor's kids running wild? I don't think you know what you're wanting. You don't pay your own employees pastors, anyway. You want to pay for a whole wives, family? You know, or pastor give you the, the sense, yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to the gospel, because we've got in Mark's gospel— Well, Mark's gospel is loaded with uh, Jesus basically showing his power over the demonic. What do we see on Sunday? So the theme over and over again is that Jesus— uh, first of all, the people notice right away that he speaks with authority. And he speaks with authority— because we have to understand that, like, in, in that tradition, in that day, the standard way that rabbis taught was, was by quotation. That kind of killed you with quotation. You know, you would come to a passage and it would be, well, Rabbi Hillel says this, or Rabbi Shammai says this. But Jesus doesn't do that. He gets up and says, you know, he reads from Isaiah. We know we hear that in, in other parts of the Gospels. And then he says, Today I am telling you this scripture is fulfilled, right? He doesn't say, he doesn't quote others. He says, thus saith the Lord. He says, you know, verily, verily, I say to you. Um, So I I think it's important. He speaks with an authority that comes from his own being the wisdom and word of the Father. So that's important, right? He speaks with authority. But I think the other thing, as I'm kind of like reflecting on this, this whole idea of authority, you know, by and large, we don't want authority until we have a real existential need or an existential threat, right? So, like, if I'm driving, I'm driving right now, um, but if I'm driving on the interstate, I don't want to see the state trooper 
by and large, you know, I get nervous. I see the state trooper. It's like all of a sudden you slow down. You get a little nervous. But if my car were to break down, I would want to see the state trooper. Yeah. If I were being, you know, robbed at gunpoint, you know, carjacked or something, I would want to see the police, right? We want authority when we have a deep existential need or a real threat. And so these people, they have a real need for sound and solid and compassionate teaching. And they're being oppressed by demons. And so they see the authority and they say, oh my God, he's, he's speaking with authority. He's acting with authority. Even the demons are subject to him. And so we realize, and of course this, this comes back to part of my journey into the Catholic Church, I'm sure yours as well, was a, a yearning for authority and a coming to see that authority was not a burden, as I perceived that it was as an Anglican from the outside, but instead a, a blessing. And that well, we all have these deep existential needs and, and threats, and that we need the authority, the voice of the Church, um, which is ultimately the voice of Christ. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. That's basically what's going to be my next question, is because you and I come from worlds uh, where you know we have experience of some mainline denominations, we have ex- experience of some smaller, sort of splinter, more evangelical worlds, and even some sort where of Where each like, pastor does what's right in his own exactly. eyes. Exactly. And... I'm telling you that when you get into that world, it is a deep and abiding hunger for authority. And I can tell you that some of those pastors feel that, too. Uh, this is Marcus Grodi's journey, and he said this many times before. He remembers the moment when he stood up in his Presbyterian pulpit and got ready to preach on something, and he thought to himself, within a 25-mile radius of me, there are a, a dozen or more pastors who could possibly be preaching on this same passage and preaching on it differently. Which one of us is right? Which one of us is right? You know, and that's and a even crisis within, for a lot of people. Within your own Protestant denomination, I exactly. Found that. I said, you know, there, you were yeah, the in Anglicanism, exactly. And so it's that that hunger for authority, but it, but it does take a work of grace to be able to see authority, because so much of our kind of our, our culture tends towards uh, that unrestricted autonomy, and we don't want others to have to exercise authority over us. And yet all throughout the New Testament, you read it, and you, you it, it assumes a Christian community that is under authority. This is why St. Paul can say, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. He assumes that the Christian community is going to be submitting to each other, submitting to their leaders. And for me, becoming Catholic was ultimately saying, hey, there's an authority here that that crosses generational lines, cultural lines, language lines, um, century upon century, and I need to submit myself to that authority, which is ultimately the authority of Christ through the Church. And that authority is going to be as those, um, as those men and women experienced it in the Gospel, which is freedom from the power of the enemy, freedom from a confusion like the Pharisees. Well, this passage can mean this, but Rabbi you know, Hillel says it means this, and he says it means this. No, no, we need that clarity, and the clarity comes from authority, which is a blessing. Well, let me tell you, you don't understand the freedom that comes from authority unless you've lived in those wild, wild west Protestant worlds where there is a vacuum of authority, and it is water in the desert, and it is truly freeing to have that authority. Thank you so much, Father Jonathan Duncan. You can find a link to him at sunrisemorningshow.com. Actually, you can find a link to all of our guests, uh, everyone we talk to on a daily basis. Uh, enter your email while you're there. Subscribe. Get show notes delivered on a daily basis. You can also link to our video feeds there. 
if you want to see what all this looks like. It's not much. It's just people doing radio. But there is a video feed of it. We'll talk to you on a Monday. Until then, I'm Matt Swain for Anna Mitchell and all of our guests. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.